Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Did you know I've had my podcast for 15 years? Do you know that it is the most downloaded sports podcast of all time? Did you know I have guests from the sports world, from the culture world, people who work for The Ringer, people outside The Ringer, celebrities, experts, you name it. It's on my podcast three times a week, late Sunday night, late Tuesday night, late Thursday night, the Bill Simmons podcast. Check it out on Spotify. We did a lot of boxing and I can't punch. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to Righty's House on Ringer FC. I hope everyone is all safe and well. Today, we're going to be joined by Manchester City and England forward Chloe Kelly to chat about her return from injury, getting into the Champions League and more. Then, we'll be joined by Callum Jacobs, the editor of the book, A New Formation, How Black Footballers Shaped the Modern Game, featuring essays from some of the members of this house. And my guest is Flo Lloyd Hughes, Florence Dean. <laughs> the breaker. <laughs> she knows, man. She knows. She's a prior now. Yeah. I'm so pleased. That's great news. That's great news, though. I don't care. That's fantastic news. Yeah, I'm surprised at the, the, the news that Miedemar is going to be staying at Arsenal for a year. I think last couple of weeks, it's just been Barca, Barca, Barca. And mm. then uh, I think at the turn of the year, Tom Gary said that Barcelona deal was really close. And I was certainly convinced it was going to happen. And yeah, it looks like she's going to be staying for another year at Arsenal, which, you know, I think I think after that, she probably will go. So that means how long she's got left. So she, she had this year, she's got another year left. Yeah, so another year. She, okay, so do you think there's been any kind of... I know assurances as what's happening, who's coming, is that something? I don't know. Cause why, I don't why know, she- but she must ex- she must expect there to be change and for Arsenal to have a successful season next year. And I think, I think domestically they really could. I think domestically they could be a success next season because they were so yeah. close for 40 minutes on Sunday or so. Yeah. They had the trophy in their hands. So, yeah. Yeah, but the thing with that flow is, is that, Watching that, watching the Chelsea game, Chelsea Man United game, and yes, Man United did well. You know what I mean? It scored, and it kind of made us think for a while. Oh my gosh! But I think that what Sam Kerr showed is when you've got a world class striker. Yeah. Um, is just you know, and the team. It's not quite happening. The Man United are doing, and they're huffing and puffing, and they're actually causing problems. But then, when you look at the two goals which she scored, you can't legislate for those. You no. can't like you can't like have man marking. You can't have oh we're in the low block. Oh, you can't. those are two goals that top players score because she's just got that ability. Mm. So you know, as much as you know, Arsenal done well, and I was pr- really pleased with Steena Blackstein is coming on and scoring because I've watched her in the last four or five games. What I've seen of her, she works her socks off up front. Mm. I don't think, if I'm going to be totally honest, she gets enough service. I don't think she gets enough for the amount of work what she puts in. I don't think she gets enough service. I have to say with Viv as well, you know, with the same, watching Viv uh, output in the games, she needs to up that. And that's something that's going to need to come from um, Jonas. We're going to need more from her because I think that she's got players in and around her now. When you watch someone like that and you're watching the top players, they are contributing because they have a world-class standard every single game I've seen. Mm. It's interesting because... 
because I spoke to her after the game on Sunday and, and she was, you know, about the, the fact that her position changed. And she said, I enjoy playing as a 10 um, and I want to do more of that. And I think that I'm better as a 10. I think she'll get it. And I think next season, I mean, also, if you think about it this way, that that Birmingham defeat was was everything. That was the yeah. title done. And they yeah. were unbeaten against Chelsea in the league. They won yeah. on the first day at the Emirates, all albeit they were helped by a bit of an offside Beth Mead goal yes. and they drew nil nil at Kings Meadow. So to be unbeaten against a team that you've been you've been smashed by in the league the last mm. couple of seasons. Yeah, they lost in the FA Cup semi final and final. That that's that is growth. So I am mm. excited to see what they can do next season. But mm. you're right, they they have a lot of work to do. But we have to give, like you said, Sam Kerr and Chelsea so Absolutely. much credit because yeah. that first that first Sam Kerr goal as well mm, had an Ian Wright feel to it. I'm not, lie. <laughs> no, I'm not, not maybe not the lob so much. That second one was just ridiculous, but that yeah. volley had, had an essence of, of right at its finest. I'd say. I, I love that goal. I love yeah. that goal. And I love the second goal because the second goal was again, a goal where it's not meant to happen. And the mm. way she chested it. And, and so, so remember the ball's coming from behind her. So she's, so she's going to have to, from behind her, so she's going to have to chest it and get it into a situation where she can then, do the volley and get the volley right. And it was all just perfect, you know, but like, again, like guru writing, guru writing, you know, she, of course she had to be in, in the running for the, the player of the season as well, because like she was fantastic. You know what I mean? It's just the way Emma has, the way Emma has got that team going, especially after the disappointment of last season's Champions League and obviously going out of the Champions League and being pushed like they have, like Arsenal's pushed them. You know, you have to say, from a managerial point of view, how she's managed that team, amazing. You know, no Fran, no Pernil Harder coming back. You know what I mean? And then Sam Kerr just leading the line and leading it and scoring goals. And, you know, it's it's a testament to that team. They're a fantastic team. You know, mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how they strengthen and how they're going to get better um, next year to, to, to challenge for the Champions League. I suppose as well, if... For how it all unraveled, there is no better way to lose a title than to something like that. Mm. Like the the showmanship of what Sam Kerr yes, did. Yeah. It's just unbelievable to yeah. do that on that stage under that pressure, yeah. going in at half time, knowing that as it stands, you are losing the title. And then to say, fuck that. <laughs> I am winning this thing and I'm doing it in style. I'm doing mm. it FIFA Street, mm. like 2011 style, Dizzy Rascal on the on the uh, on the soundtrack and the narration <laughs> this is it like it's just ridiculous it's mm. ridiculous can we give some you know I, I think I want to give I want to give some flowers to Rianne Skinner yeah I think I do yeah I think what Tottenham have done you know coming up only what two years ago they've come up first season struggling fighting off relegation second season they were still in and around there and then you know getting rid of Catherine Hills and Juan Amros getting rid of them two after 10 years taking the chance on Rianne Skinner and her pushing all this season to try and get them into the Champions League. It's awesome. And I watched them and I've got to say, yes, there's a lot of work that Tottenham have got to do. They've got to score a lot more goals, but they're defensive wise. Mm. You know, when you consider last season, it was like 40 odd goals they con conceded and this season it's only 20 odd. They've got to score more goals, granted. But the way that they're structured and the way they're defending as a team, if they can get those players to get them better, get them up the field quicker, you know. They're going to be one of the teams that's going to be pushing. 
And I think that she's got to get a lot of credit. She's getting flowers from me to Rianne Skinner. Amazing. I mean, who's been your favourite player this season? There's so many There's so many you could pick. I know Beth Mead's had such yeah, a good Beth season. We great. both really enjoy watching her. But who do you, who, if you have to pick one, you have to pick one, who's been your stand-up player? Probably... And I know it's a striker and it's quite obvious, but just Sam Kerr, man. Mm. The way she's finished the season with them two goals as well. Sam Kerr, like I mentioned, Guru Wrighton. You have to mention Lauren Hemp. You know, people like that. I think they've played, they've played fantastically well. Beth Mead has been great. You know, so... Yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably have to say Sam Kerr, especially like what's happened with Chelsea's front three. Like I say, Penel Harder was missing and... Frank Kirby, I'm, you know, hopefully she's going to be all right and come. And she's kept that team going under the pressure of Chelsea having to do that. And, you know, she finished the season with two goals like that. She, she's a world-class striker. She's probably got to get it, even though there's been some really good performances this season. You know who I like? Who I watched at Everton. I like Pattinson at left back. I like her. Obviously, like I mentioned, Guru right. And I want, I want to find out what's going to happen with uh, Mana Iwabuchi. She's got too much to offer for somebody to not get the min- not get any minutes. She's got far too much to offer. You know, I'm looking forward to looking forward to again like next season as well. I'm looking forward to hopefully fingers crossed with you know with Man City because they had a terrible start to the season. Bunny Shaw, hopefully she can start to really fire off. I think she will. I think she will, and she might even do it in the FA Cup final. You know, so Flo Chelsea going for a double FA Cup final. What what do you think? Man City beat. Chelsea in the Conti Cup in March, which mm. I was surprised at. Sam Kerr put Chelsea in the lead and then mm. City just absolutely took control in the second half. It was incredible. But I just don't feel like Emma Hayes is going to let City do that again. I Mm-mm. just feel like that won't happen. Mm. So I, I think Chelsea are going to win, but I do think if Bunny Shaw starts, she's going to cause a lot of problems. So I feel like it could be like a 3-1, a 3-2 yeah. to Chelsea. I think it's going to be tough. And plus with Sam Kerr coming off of a, them two goals as her last two goals. Yeah. She's, she's in a mood. And you saw what she you saw what she done to Arsenal, chipping goalkeepers and all that yeah. business last time. So... You probably have to ease towards Chelsea, but we'll see how it goes. Talking of City, though, I think it's time to invite our guest in. Hey, Chloe Kelly, Champions League qualifying Chloe Kelly. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you, honestly. You know, Flo, say hi to Chloe. Hello. Like Hello, Chloe. How are you doing? Yes, Flo. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Where are you right now? Are you at, mm. are you at City's training ground or...? Yeah, I'm in the training ground at the minute still. So in the Hudson room, so the background's nice. looking nice. I know, that's what I was saying. This New York, man, concrete jungle where dreams are made of. <laughs> so close. so you qualified for the Champions League, everything. You've got a big smile on your face. I'm really delighted to see. How are you feeling as we speak? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Obviously, it's a big week ahead. So training's been good this morning. And mm. yeah, I'm just buzzing Champions League and for next season qualified and FA Cup final the weekend. So it's wow. yeah, so exciting. Oh my gosh. You know, the thing is, is that I remember um, like a few days before the FA Cup final, you know something? I couldn't sleep. Really? It's, it's very, very difficult to sleep, especially going into that one. Because obviously we, we had the one with Palace in 1990 against United. Going in it with Arsenal and kind of favourites. It's really strange because I, everybody feels that for some reason, oh, you don't get nervous in that because it's confidence. You're always exuding confidence. Oh, always confidence and positivity. I couldn't sleep the days leading up to it. 
in the days leading up to my first game back, I had exactly the same feeling. I didn't sleep for the maybe four nights before wow. that. Wow. What was you thinking about? What was the problem? What was you thinking? I was just thinking like the excitement, the nerves, just everything to do with like, am I ready? Of course I knew mm. I was ready, but it was, mm. you question yourself. But the night before it literally felt like Christmas Eve. I was waking up <laughs> every hour and I was like, <laughs> the day of the game, I was knackered before <laughs> the game even started. But now I've got going, like I, I don't get that, but probably before the FA Cup final, of course, the nerves around it. And what was the feeling like when you got your first goal back? Was it more just relief than anything? I jumped with it. I jumped when they said Chloe Kelly scored. I jumped. Yeah, it, to be fair, it was probably one of the, the easiest goals that I'll get. But those yeah. ones are the most difficult because the ball came to me and I felt like I, it took about five minutes I had the <laughs> ball at my feet, even though it was in a split second. But in that moment when the ball's at your feet, you literally first game back. And the ball just comes to you, not expecting the centre half to just pass it straight to you. Mm. And yeah, it, it was yeah a great, great goal. But at that moment in time, it did felt like I had the ball at my feet for so mm. long. I said, have you have you played at Wembley before? I have, yeah. Um, so we played the charity shield there against Chelsea at the start of last season oh, yeah, yeah. with no fans, and then Everton in the FA Cup final again with no fans. So, yeah, it's the first time that I've actually played there with fans, which will be unbelievable. Well, I've got to ask you about growing up and the stuff quickly about the QPR, because I know Flo's a QPR fan. I mean, I live in northwest London and that. We were actually we were actually there at the same time, you know, Chloe, but you were in like the oh, under no. 10s, I think. And I was <laughs> in the under I was in the under 14s. So there was no crossover. Mm. Uh, so well, who was your coach like I had uh, Steve 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 Quashy Steve Quashy yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve who was yours um Craig and Ben okay ben, yeah I'm not even too sure of their last names but I remember the the girls in the older age group with Craig Preston and yeah mm. yeah it was unbelievable set up at QPR it was just Sunday league which was so difficult to push on one of the I remember the one of the hardest things, and and you'll know this, and it's such a big part of of girls' grassroots football at the moment is the fact that our parents had to drive us to like basically buy Heathrow Airport in order to get us to training. Wow. Like if you didn't have a, a parent who was able to do that, I mean, you must have been in a similar position, right? Yeah, my parents didn't have a car, so literally we was getting the bus to games oh to training. Yeah, so that was probably so diff like so difficult for my parents. So. Yeah, now you appreciate those those things that your parents did to actually just get you to training and to games, but and the time that they give up just for that. And what about the the three years at Arsenal, Chloe? Because like, what happened there? How, how have we how have we missed you there? What what, what was happening <laughs> with you there? What, you know, you're there from 2015, and now you've gone world class player. What happened? How, how did that work out? Yeah, it was difficult for me um, to leave. It was a huge thing because I played at Arsenal since I was. 12 mm. something like that I've played for Arsenal since so I, it was always like it was weird I'd always had a good pre-season gone into the season and never got the minutes that I was hoping for mm. who was in your way um the likes of Danielle Carter which was a top mm. player I was obviously training with the likes of Kelly Smith and mm. I know I had a lot to learn at the time but it's hard to to learn when you're not playing as much minutes and being able to make those mistakes to learn from them. Training right. with the, the, the top players was great, but I needed to to get on the pitch and 
show what I was capable of in a game mm. situation rather than being thrown in for 10 minutes here and there and not being able to get a run of games. But So I went to Everton on loan mm. um, for half a season and I really enjoyed it. But a London girl moving up to Liverpool, it was so different, <laughs> so difficult. I was so homesick, missed my family because I'm a proper home bird. Um, but yeah, I started to to really enjoy just playing football and being able to make mistakes to learn from mm. those mistakes. But yeah, now I look back and think, would I be in this situation if I would have just ro- rode the bench at Arsenal? Mm. Chloe, in the way you play, because you're very creative, very skillful, everything that you want from a winger in that. When you was at Arsenal, would you play in the same way? So when you went to Everton, obviously you got the minutes. Were you able to continue to play, take people on and people weren't saying you need to release the ball earlier, you need to do... Was you able to play how we see you playing now? I don't think so. I don't think I had that confidence that I was able to just be myself on the pitch because you're always maybe just trying to play the style of play and maybe getting too caught up in that and not being able to actually be yourself. It's no disrespect to Arsenal because it's great, great talent that they have there. But maybe at the time I just got caught up in that. In my situation, just didn't have the confidence to maybe be myself. With big players there, of course, you're Mm. fighting for, for positions against big players. Whereas at Everton, it was a young group and it just I could just be myself in that environment and yeah, maybe make a mistake that I shouldn't have done it in that area. But now looking back, I had to make those mistakes to learn. What was it like then making the move to City? Because mm. your first season there, just absolutely electric. Was it 16 goals, 14 assists or something like crazy numbers? Uh, do you know what made my time coming to City a lot easier? It was a change of manager when I was coming in. So it just gone locked down. Everyone was coming in and it was new for everyone. The, mm. the manager was new for even the players that had been here a while. It was a lot of things had changed. So I think that made it easier that I came in and I weren't like a new girl. It was, it's new for everyone because we're, right. we're changing the style of play. And the manager gave me a lot of confidence. Even we have a, a clear structure, but I could be myself within that. Right. And that just allowed me to, yeah, be myself. And me and Lauren Hemp, obviously, on either wow. wing, we can we link up well together. So it's just creating those relationships and building off them. You know, so we we got to go into the um the the injury because I was I was reading um, an article about you going through that injury, and me being in the dressing room and seeing players. You know, when you get one of your top players who are injured and you know what they're going through on a minute basis. People don't realise because when Chloe Kelly gets injured, people say, oh, it's such a shame. And then obviously people don't, don't, they don't then think about you because they're thinking about the players, thinking about what's going on, not realising that you're living it every minute. You know, so I, I read some stuff where you couldn't, you know, when you'd done the knee, how bad it was and you couldn't even get your leg off the bed and stuff. You know how long a, a, an ACL is going to take. How did you get through, Chloe, especially the first, first couple of weeks when you start doing the stuff, when you, then you start doing the strengthening and it's starting to feel like, oh, Jesus Christ, man, this is fucking nightmare. How did you get through? What was getting you through? Um, I don't think any day looked the same. Mm. So when I first done the injury, I was like, ACL, like, it's not that bad. Mm. I'm not in pain. Um, before my injury, before my surgery, sorry, that's how I felt. I was like, it surely isn't that bad. Like, mm. um, my knee's not sore. 
then once I had my surgery, I was like, wow, like wow. I didn't realize how much pain I'd be in, how much I couldn't do for myself. Uh, and that's when it started to take a toll on me mentally. Mm. And maybe I was a person that I didn't want to be for a while, like a bit snappy yeah. because you just lose everything what you're used to. You're used to going into training, being with a team, feeling like you have some work within the group and then to mm. be taken away and not actually have that it's so difficult because you're just used to a routine of training each day yeah. coming home whereas I actually just couldn't even go to the toilet by myself I had mm. to be like taken like being able to get out of bed and things like that that was difficult for me to accept but the first few weeks are probably the most difficult but then you see start to see progress each yeah. day and that's what gets you through in the the early stages you see progress every day really mm from being able to walk with one crutch or two and then just being able to walk by yourself. And, um, but the start and the end of the rehab, I would say is the toughest, the start because you don't realize how hard it's going to be. And the end, because when you can see light at at the end of the tunnel and it's like a piece of strings being dangled in front of you because you're training on the pitch next to the team, but you're not quite with them. Mm-hmm. And then you can join into team training, but you're not allowed contact for a while. And I'm like, just hit me. I'm fine. <laughs> I, have tr- I have trust. When you first had that surgery, you were talking about that kind of like shock to the system of how painful it was. Did you ever feel like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to play football again? Yeah, there was days where I thought, I can't do this. Wow. Because I couldn't like bend my knee. Even like three months into my to my rehab I'm I'm saying to the physio is my knee ever going to feel the same and they're like yeah but you just have to trust the process and that was so hard to accept that will I ever feel the same again did you talk to any other players as well like obviously like there's a few in the England set up thinking of like Jordan Nobbs and you know someone like Claire Rafferty who I think had like four or something crazy I mean did you talk to anyone else in the game about about what it's been like for them yeah, Jordan Nobbs was brilliant for me. Um, within a few hours or days of me announcing that I um, actually tore my ACL, one of the first people to call me was Jordan and just saying that she's here where, whenever I need to because you don't, maybe at that stage I was like, yeah, like because it was before my surgery. So I was like, what's she on about? Like, I'm fine. Yes, yes. And then throughout your injury, that's when you start using those people to, to say is this yeah. normal Gabby George at Everton was someone that did hers just and was coming back as I as I was um finishing but she like I was just messaging them like does this is this normal does mm. this feel normal so it's just like accepting that yeah some things are normal in respects of mentally do you feel like a different person mentally for the experience of the injury and what you've been through because I don't think that the viewers and punters will understand the mental journey of, like I say, you're doing it, you're going through it every single minute of the day. You're probably thinking about the injury every single minute of the day. Do you feel mentally stronger for what you've been through? Yeah, definitely. I think I used a lot of time, had a lot of time with a psychologist as Mm. well, which I never actually spoke to the psychologist before my injury. And I think you realise the importance of even post-injury speaking to those people and like allowing to express your emotions Mm. um but also 
I think like you have to be positive around it because with ACLs, there's such a negative mindset of soon as I told my ACL, they're like nine to 12 months out. And I'm like, why is it nine to 12 months out? I could do it in six. (laughs) And then like, you start thinking, why do people think so negatively about it? And throughout your rehab, yeah, it's, it's a tough journey, but I think any rehab is. So Mm. then when you like think about, I'm like, for me now, I look back and think, I would hate to be a young girl tearing their ACL and you, the negativity around it. Whereas I like to look at it as how can I be stronger after this? Yeah. And yeah. how can I come back and be a better player than I was before? So it's the analysis work and actually taking time to work hard in the gym. Mm-hmm. But I think the hardest thing for me was when people would say, I understand your frustrations and I hated that because I was like, you don't understand my frustrations <laughs> because you're living it every day. So mm. when like I would speak to the physios and they'd say, you can't play because da, 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 and I'd, and they say, I understand your frustrations. Mm. I was like, you don't like, it's hard. It's mm. because you don't want to feel rude as well, but you're like, no one really understands the frustrations until you're living and breathing mm. it each day. Ian, did you ever did you ever go to a psychologist about any stuff in your game? Well, you know, I had to do the psychology stuff because of the the, the anger issues I had. Mm. You know, the anger issues from when I was younger, um, and you know, I didn't even realize I didn't realize how bad they were. And what happened was what I found out once I started speaking to them. Because at first, when I started speaking to them, girls, is is like she said to me after like a couple of weeks because I wasn't being honest. Because I've never had to speak to somebody and try to be honest and be vulnerable about my feelings. And she said to me after a couple of weeks, she said to me, listen, you're paying a lot of money for this. And, you know, if you're, if you're going to come here and you're going to skate around what's wrong, then, you, you know, you, you're probably, you know, you, you're wasting your money. And I remember she said it to me, and I'm not joking, right? I started to well up and then I just started to blast out everything, man. It just came out like vomit. all my stuff and like obviously a lot of it went back to when I was a kid and when I was a child and all the stuff that I had to deal with and then when I started to play football I found that remember because by by now I'm I'm 33, 34 by the time I'm doing this everything that happened to me happened to me on the pitch in respect of my craziest moments and the worst times because that's when it manifested and the anger came and I didn't realise that and one of the things I wish I had now and what I would always say to any player is that if you're feeling go and speak to somebody it's one of the things that you can't give to people because it's so expensive so expensive to get counselling but you don't realise how much counselling helps you it's helped me it's helped me in my latter years obviously towards the end of my career I started to realise Jesus I wish I had this more because mentally the things that you can deal with what, what are, are causing you problems going in. If you can have those suppressed and have them under control, it's going to be better for you. And I didn't have to do, I don't know how I would have dealt with it if I had to deal with all that stuff and injury. That's why I'm always so, um, I was always quite wary of being around the injured, injured players because you don't know what to say. You know, I read somewhere, Chloe, that you were saying that you had to rehab somewhere else so you didn't have to see them. But back in the day, you're right amongst them and you could see how depressed and how sad the guys were. Yeah, I think that's why when Esme Morgan, a, another player in our team who's injured, and I remember one day she said to me, 
I'm not asking about your injury because everyone asks about that. But how are you? Yes. And how is your head? Not mm. how's your knee feeling? And mm. I think for players that are not injured at the time, it's it's difficult to have them conversations because you used to like having a conversation about the game at the weekend yeah. and yeah. you can't really have them conversations. You know, I used to do, once I had the counselling, even now to sometimes, even when we do it on a podcast, start the podcast, say, how are you feeling? I say, not great. I don't feel great today. And then you'd say what it is, bam, feel better. Mm. Feel a little bit better. And some people, you can find out from some people if they genuinely mean it, if they are genuinely honest about wanting to know how you are. Because if you say, you know what, I don't feel great today. You know, it's really tough. You know, because sometimes you watch players who, are, who have done their ACL and then they've got injuries and you're seeing them doing the most minute margins of rehab where they're just moving their foot an inch or something like that in respect of, you know what I'm saying, Chloe, because you've been through it. And, you know, you think they're doing that literally for the whole day. They might ice it and they do that. Then they have to do that little movement for the whole day. It's so laborious and it feels like you're not doing anything. And so when you go to someone like that and you say something like, how are you feeling? You need to have a little bit more about you than say how you're feeling. Because you're thinking about, am I ever going to come back? Is it going to be okay? Am I ever going to be the same when I get back? You know, and those are the things that, like I said, I was very fortunate, but I was always, like I say, nervous about being around the injured players, simply because of the, the, mental, the mental aspects of it. And like I say, all football clubs should be making sure that there's some provisions for mental health, you know, for mental health. Because like I say, if, at the latter stages for me, Flo, I, it, it helped me no end. And I wish that I had it before. I wouldn't have got into so much trouble. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have ended up with a lot more money than the fines that I had to pay out. <laughs> craziness. <laughs> Chloe, do you, have you found as well, like with Esme and some of the other players that have been injured at City at the moment, like, is it quite nice because you've had a bit of a group? Like, what sort of stuff have you guys been doing and distracting yourself as well from obviously like the intensity and, and the rehab? Yeah, so me and Lucy spent a lot of our rehab doing it together at, um, somewhere else out of Manchester City. So we had a lot of time to Boxing, just, I heard boxing. We did involved. a lot of boxing and I can't punch. <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to be our cardio, but it actually wasn't cardio for me because I couldn't punch. You need to work on that upper body, Chloe. Come on, that's the next Honestly. challenge. <laughs> and there's Lucy giving it all the rocky and imagine. I'm like standing there like, oh my God, my nail. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think you... Maybe like little things, yeah, like the what bike sessions, oh, pushing gosh, each yeah. other through that. Um, and me and Lucy was always comparing our heart rate, who could get our heart rate higher, wow, wow. get into the red zone. So you get those little, it's just the competitive side yeah. of players, I guess. Yeah. I bet she's proper competitive as well. I imagine she's like extreme when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah, and she's an absolute machine. So good, yeah. it's um, it was a difficult battle. I, mean, I didn't pick my battle too wisely with Lucy. Um, but no, and now Esme coming back. Um, I think you see her, like the struggles that she goes through when maybe she's having a bad day and I can actually relate to her because I'm like, mm. yeah, I, I literally had that moment in my rehab where I was like, wow, it's so difficult. And now you see it with Esme having that conversation like it's so normal so end of the season Chloe and you know your Champions League qualification you're, you're back playing now England around the corner fingers crossed with that how are you feeling for the summer what, what are you going to do what break what are you going to you're going to have a nice break what are, what are you going to do 
Yeah, um, to be fair, I'm not looking too far ahead because I, I just looking for obviously to have a strong end to the season and, mm-hmm. and next week in the in the cup final. Um, of course, I want to be at the Euros and mm. that's been my aim since I've um, got back on the pitch. Of course, when you're, when you're not playing, it's hard to set your sights on that. But now I'm back playing and I actually feel feel good. I feel myself, which... Um, some people say it might take you a while to get back mm. to to feeling yourself. Um, but I think just spending time with my family, I like getting back home to London and mm. just, yeah, appreciating time with your family. And hopefully, I don't know where I'm going to go on holiday. It depends. What kind of holiday will you have? Are you one of those people that when you're on holiday, you still cook stuff and do or do you Because you know the holidays I used to have? I used to go to places like uh, a Mauritius you know, or a Bahamas or somewhere like where you're not doing anything. I wanted to not do anything. So yeah, you know, that's me. Is that you? <laughs> that's that, me. <laughs> no, no gym work, no nothing. Just go on holiday and just let it all just like flow out and get ready to go again after you've had a proper nothing holiday. Eat your stuff, drink your stuff. You know what I mean? Have a great time with family because especially what you've been through. That's the kind of holiday you need. Yeah, I love it. Um, I like to just sit around the pool. Not, I'm not a sightseer either. I don't. Mm. It, I'm just like, I'm yeah, I'm get lazy. me around the pool yeah. and I'll, I'll be there the whole day. But yeah, just spending time with your family and appreciating that time because injured just before the end of the season, you spend the whole summer in. So I've not actually had my my rest like because right. you go all the way through then. So yeah, it'll be nice to actually get a break at the end of the season, but. I don't want the season to end now because you just it just feels like it's starting for me. Do you feel like you've had enough time to showcase what you could bring to the Euros this summer? Or or do you feel like what up, up until the injury you, you had enough as well? Um up until the injury I felt I felt good. I don't think I'm at my best yet. I've got so much to learn and I'm hungry to to learn and that's why I, I came somewhere like here, Manchester City. Um my injury obviously came at such a bad time, but yeah, yeah since my injury, I, I like the goal contributions that I've had so far. Um, I feel I feel good, and hopefully, going into the summer, that um, that Euros call comes. But mm. I just need to work hard every day up until then, and what will be will be. Everything happens for a reason. And like, we've got to talk about the, the final and how much you you must be looking forward to that. Especially, like I say, you've had such a a long journey to get here. Um, what are you most looking forward to? Probably just being at Wembley with mm. my family as well, because the last two times we've we've been there, it's been no fans. So actually having my family being able to watch me at Wembley from growing up in Ealing and being around the corner at Wembley, it's it's unbelievable. Um, so yeah, it will just be be great to to be to have my family watching me at Wembley. Did you um did you go to the QPR playoff final at Wembley in 2014? When Bobby Zamora scored, Bobby Zamora. of course. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we could we maybe you could try and match that with the late drama. Do you think you'll do that? Honestly, yeah, it was unbelievable day. I actually had I was on crutches at the time and I had them wrapped in blue and white ribbon. <laughs> Love, it. Love it. Oh, well I'm hope I'm hoping it'll be match that drama because that would be just like epic if you could provide some of that. It'd, It'd be, be great. Brilliant. You got it in the locker. Listen, Chloe, I, I, I'm just saying, I'm just so pleased you're on. I'm just so pleased you're back, you know, doing your stuff and fingers crossed for the Euros, fingers crossed for, 
for the cup final. Thank just, you. I, I just hope it all works out for you now, injury free, and you can just go and show everybody what you've got. I remember two goals you scored at Everton from outside the box. That's the first time I saw Chloe Kelly. I went, wow. And then bam, next thing, you was at City, scoring 16 goals, making 40, having 14 assists. I only wish the best for you from here on in, Chloe. Chloe Kelly, thank you so much. I'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank Fra- you for having me. It's amazing. I'm delighted. And then when you score on Sunday, I'm going to say, yep, she was on the, she was on the podcast, bro. That was going to always <laughs> happen. You know what I mean? Thank you so much, Chloe. Thank you. God bless. God bless. See you later. Okay, I've got Ryan Hun with me. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ian. <laughs> How are you? Are you all right? I'm cool, man. You yeah, cool? Good. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, man. That's not cool. Right? I could do without a derby this week, but apart from that, I'm all right. No, man, you've got to look forward to the derby. We're going into the derby without nothing to worry about. Stop it. Stop it. No. In the words of Arsenal's second greatest goal scorer, I'm nervous. I'm nervous, man. <laughs> no, I'm worried, Ray. I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> We've got... Callum Jacobs, the editor of the book, A New Formation, How Black Footballers Shaped the Modern Game. It's got essays from our very own Jeanette Kwashi and Musa Kwonga and many others out on Penguin. What's up, Callum, in those cool glasses? They are cool. You know what? The funniest thing is, I've wanted to see you for a while just to talk to you about glasses. (laughs) I love those. You know the thing with this, the round ones, Cal? Mm-hmm. It's the round ones that suit my head more. I don't know if it's when I was younger as well. You know where I, I tell you where I, I start getting my love for um, the round glasses, and it was that film. It's the film um, with Steve McQueen, The Great Escape. Donald Pleasance has got the little glasses. Those ones are hard to carry off, though. Oh, the, no, the little no. ones that are round. I think you mm. can do it, though. I've seen. I've been watching your eyewear for a few years now. Have you watched? It's inspirational, but. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say something? The colour, bro. I like the colour. It's listen, blending into you. Ah, my days. So the book, man. A new formation. Tell us about how it. I, how am I feeling about the book? Sorry, I should say as well, I've got a stutter. So mm. yeah, I just wanted to... Don't yeah. worry, bro. It's, it's been out three weeks, you know, and it's mm. been received so well. It's been, it's been received more warmly and more positively than I could have anticipated. Because obviously when you're writing a book, it's such, a, such an isolating experience. You're on your own the mm. whole time. And obviously I wrote it during lockdown. So I'm separated from the people I would use as, as a soundboard, you know, mm-hmm. you can bounce ideas off them. I'm just in the house on my own, right? So for it to come out and to people to have connected with it in a way that I, I really wanted them to, mm. um, has been, has just been amazing. But yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to now getting out to the world and, and, and talking about and exploring the ideas and the themes and, and the people that I've involved, including yourself, obviously. Yeah. Very proud to be involved, I've got to say. And what I'm, what I'm pleased about and what I'm pleased at people who you're kind of getting the feedback from, because people in, initially, they'll think, oh, here we go, you know, about black players, probably about racism, probably about this. And I'm so pleased there's so much more to the book that when people read it, they can get right into exactly what you're trying to say, what people have contributed and what's gone on. This is what is so good about it. This is why once people find it and they continue to find it, they will then realise how great this book is, bro. Thank you so much. And I think, yeah, you've nailed it. I set out to really expand the understanding that people have of, you know, Black British identity, Black British mm. culture. There's so much to it. You and I know that there's, 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 so, there's, there's communion, there's joy, there's mm. kinship, there's laughter. and and I feel like 
all of those elements that black people have brought not only to football but to wider society I wouldn't they're overlooked really they're overlooked and and more importantly than that they're not written about so they're not chronicled as they should be really is how I feel and that's what I wanted to do because obviously look racism is a part of my lived experience you know Mm. had I wanted to I could have and many black people can I could write verses on the racism that I've experienced from school I could write a book just just about school just about uni just about work I could do it but I feel like that limits and flattens our experiences yes and it and and what it does is it creates this kind of this kind of paradigm where you know that's all you get asked to do and 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 if you if if you kind of accept that and you kind of operate in that way you're limiting the other things that can happen afterwards mm. you know because you feel people pressure. are used to it yeah you feel pressure it's like okay if i if i if i write about this i'll be successful because that's what i know mm. the certain editors or certain elements of the industry they want that yeah but mm. I'm not giving you that. I'm going to show you. No, these are our, our experiences are broad and they're vast and they're mm. rich and, and they're amazing. So yeah, that's mm. what I wanted to capture in the book. And I feel like we definitely have done. And obviously mm. there's darker elements and we need to explore them as well. But there's also a lot of light. And I think we've captured that specifically in your essay as well, you know. Uh, Callum, you and I have known each other a long time. Yeah. Through <laughs> the Caracom stuff and other bits and bobs. And one of the things you and I have had conversations about so many times and also we've had conversations with Musa about this about and Musa has spoke about this before about often only being asked to write something from a perception of just being a black person you know so for example being called upon when there's a racism incident one of the things I love about this book is that it has those celebratory aspects of a really diverse culture so for example the customs of fasting as a Muslim player from Sana's essay or Neef's essay about the pictures of South London and, and that culture, it's, it's so much of it is celebratory, but it always feels like you know that the spectre of racism is never too far away from these stories. But yeah, it really focuses on quite often the beauty within individuals and stories and certain customs and stuff like that. It almost feels like it's a really great example of look at all the stuff we could do. No, I think you absolutely nailed it. I wanted to tell, I've, I've said this um before and in other places i wanted to tell a diverse array of stories because ryan you will know you you have to look hard for it but there there is this ecosystem of writing from from writers Mm. who do speak about these things specifically and it's a very nuanced kind of take and you have to seek them out because maybe they're not in the mainstream places but they're trying to celebrate their their identities as it pertains to to football um and 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 much of the time it will just be like this is the world mm. i inhabit and i'm trying to invite you into it so that's what i was trying to do i was trying to say like even if you don't mm. understand my experiences intrinsically obviously you you can't if you're not a black man i can show you that there's a side to it that is beautiful that is light and that does that does encompass so many of the of the amazing parts of of, of being a black person and we should be able to 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 speak about that and not find any contradiction in it another thing is like i feel like as black people you look at something but your perspective enables you to see it differently to everyone else yes uh, for example like in um so i wrote i spoke to andy cole yes so when i was younger 
I looked at Andy Cole and York and I thought, I, I wonder how important they are to each other behind the scenes. I think other fans would be like, oh, their connection's amazing. Like I looked at it and I was like, they're that tight and that is playing mm. a role in how close they are on the pitch. But the tightness isn't just their good mates. The tightness is linked to heritage, right? And I asked, uh, when I asked Andy Cole about this, he was like, yeah, it's true. It's because he's from Trinidad. Obviously, my parents are from the Windrush. So we connected on that and that's what brought us mm. closer. And I wanted to open that up and say, look, this is another element to it. This is going to enrich your understanding of this player. Mm. Why would you not want to know this? Why would you not want to explore this? And yeah, I think pretty much every writer in the book tries to do that. They try to say, look, I'm applying this lens and this lens that I've applied is, is going to enrich it and give you even more information than you would have had otherwise, which is going to make it a, 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 much, more, a, a much more enjoyable experience for you when you're watching or, or reading about these players in future. Right. Did that play a part in terms of your connection with Rocky? Because I know you two knew each other from way back, so it was a little bit different. Well, way different to York and Cole. But okay. when you were in the dressing room at Arsenal, for example, that shared experience, I suppose, does that help things in the dressing room? Absolutely. And obviously with Rocky, it was even tighter because he's in the same primary school. When I was in the fourth year, he was in the first, you know, he's in the same class as my ex-wife. And, you know, you, you, we, you see them, you know, when we used to go to the park, like he used, to, he used to explain that he used to come up to the park of his dear friend, Kevin Arnold, and they just wanted to go on the swings and we'd get them to play in goal. And you've got an affinity with him simply because you know him so long. When I went to, like I say, when I went to Arsenal, he was there. It didn't even come into my mind that it wasn't going to work or it weren't, we weren't going to be able to link or do this. It didn't mm. happen. And it's the same with Andy Gray when I started playing with him at, at, at Palace and Tony Finnegan and even Mark Bright. I don't know if it's a kinship simply because you know the journey and the story of a black man getting to actually getting to that level and what that's going to take. So you know, you've already knows that he's had a journey. So you've both been on it and you both have to make sure that you're, you're helping each other as much as you can to make sure that you're both successful in it because how important it is to be that visual representation. Do, am I, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not like you're thinking to yourself, oh, I don't business about him because I'm looking after myself. You have a natural kinship to help each other. You know, Andy Cole and Dwight York done it better than anybody in respects of the, the natural brilliance of the both of them and the fact that they were both friends and they had a kinship. It was there. You could feel it. Uh, Cal, just a quick one for people who haven't read the book yet or don't know about the book. I know we've talked a little bit about it, but can you give them a bit more of a specific breakdown about who's written in it, what's in there, what they can expect from it, example? Yeah. The, so essentially the book is an anthology and it consists of nine essays. Mm, um, I've yeah. written three of them. And then I commissioned seven other writers, six or seven other writers along lines of who I felt they could relate to because I feel like um, and I don't want to sit here and critique football journalism and mainstream football journalism. That's what, that isn't what this is about. But I feel like you, you can get a bit more out of an interviewee if the person talking to them can relate to them because you can build a bridge of trust. Mm. So the anthology consists of, as, as I said, nine essays. And so you've got me interviewing Andy Cole, um, Jeanette Kwachi interviewing Anita As Asante. Then you've got Jude Wenger writing about Hope Powell. Mm. You've got um, Thomas Theodore, obviously interviewed Ian Wright. Thomas Theodore's like a lifelong Arsenal fan. 
<laughs> and obviously Ian is his hero and yeah, yeah that was amazing to, to make that happen and then um You've got... Yeah, Danny Rose. Who's done the Danny Rose, Kelly? Danny Rose was my friend Kwaku Dapa Dankwa. Mm. And Kwaku... So for my magazine, Caracom, the second issue, I also created a mental health guide to go with mm-hmm. the magazine. And it's called The Caracom mm-hmm. Guide to Blackmail Mental Health. And I dedicate that to a good, close friend of mine who, who took his life when we, when we were a lot younger. And obviously, I think about that all the time. But I got Kwaku to, wrote that, to write that piece because Danny Rose spoke about depression mm. very openly more than more openly than any player kind of ever has in the past so i thought he would be a good he would be a good um person to write that i wrote about raheem sterling just because i have a real interest in his story and, and i have done for many years um and then who else have we got who else have we got, I've got we've got obviously musu Congo writing about the life yeah musu Congo writing about the life the life of um justin fashionu and we really yeah, wanted to explore that and kind of look at him as a person because obviously his life is mostly understood in outline and we kind of wanted to challenge that and say, you know, no, nah, this, this was an older brother. This was an elite player. Yeah. This was a guy who, who really had to hide his identity and that took such a toll on him. And, 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 and there's obviously parallels to be drawn in society with obviously um, queer and gay and bisexual black men mm-hmm. in the world. And then obviously you've got Anifiok writing about the legacy of, of black players in South London. And Anifit was good for that because we are both from South London. We're both hugely invested um, in the teams that exist here. Neef used to go and watch Charlton and I've been going mm. to Palace games since I was like nine years old. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Sana Qureshi writing about Muslim players in the Premier League because obviously they mean so much to her and other Muslim fans who we may not know, but the way they build their identity and fortify their faith through watching Muslim players basically succeed mm. in the league, especially when you look at the backdrop of Islamophobia that kind of exists in, in certain elements of the media. I, I also interviewed Andy mm. Cole, partly because, as I said, I've always been interested in, in, in his story. And I think Andy Cole is so misunderstood because people haven't contextualized his life correctly. They kind of just think he's this difficult guy. He's distant mm. and he's cold. But speaking to him, you realize, actually, I learned that his, his attitude was shaped a lot by the way his father was treated. You know, his father came from Jamaica to be with his mum, and his father mm. suffered a lot. And Andy Cole said, well, Ra, I'm not going to accept any of that kind of treatment. And that's why you get the Andy Cole that you get. But no other writer that I'm aware of had really accessed that part of him for him to say no this is this is why because maybe he's not gonna maybe he's not gonna open up about that but yeah I think I think that's everything but it's quite a broad spectrum and it brings in you know football fans who are members of the LGBTQ community it brings in Muslim football fans black women football fans you know all kinds of fans and 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 that's what I really wanted to do because there just exists so many so many fandoms that um mm. that are part of the game and 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 that we should bring in more you know if we talk about inclusivity in real terms that's how you do it i feel I, i'm 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 looking forward to reading that that andy cole side of it because you know for someone as as andy cole coming through as a, a very successful black player you know what i mean man's up there what is he third in the, in the goal scorers he's you know done the treble man was he's fucking out there he's he's amazing 
But like the first thing people will say is, yeah, but look, you know, don't like his attitude, don't like his vibe. And so what I love about what this book will do is try to explain that that doesn't come from nowhere. That doesn't come from nowhere. There's a reason why, you know, some people might be able to take that kind of, watch your dad go through that and say, and, and think, and like brush it off. Some people don't. And unfortunately, Andy didn't brush it off. And what's, is he supposed to be punished and, you know, and, and, you know, like ostracizing just because he doesn't speak and he doesn't dance, you know? Andy Cole, even when we played, there was, there was players, white players, who would say to me, what's, what's up with him, man? What's up with him? Andy Cole was just that guy. He had, he was that guy. You know what I mean? I'm sure you, you speak to Andy now. Andy's a lot more mellow in what he's doing because he's, he's an older man. He's a more mature man than that. But what's beautiful about that is that there's a story behind that. And what this book will hopefully do is let people see what that story is why, and how he's come out of it and, 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 and why he's, he was so great. Exactly. Callum. Yes, Ryan. <laughs> uh, where would you prefer people to buy the book? Pen- the Penguin Store? Um, Anywhere they want to buy it, support your local bookshop. Yeah, support your local bookshop. I think bookshop.org is probably the best mm. one because I think that supports independent yeah. bookshops. But at the same time, look, I've been telling people I'm not judging you. Wherever you can get it cheapest, the cost of living is rising. We're all feeling it. Mm. And so I'm not going to judge anybody. But yeah, <laughs> so I, I would say I would say those. Uh, I just want to wrap up my side with a quote from uh, the great man Jonathan Liu, fellow Berliner, <laughs> says... A new formation is quite simply one of the most important football books ever written. Bam. It's crazy, right? No. Uh, congrats on the book, man. Congratulations, Thank Cal. you so much. So and thank you for, inv- for inviting me into the house. I feel honoured. No, I feel honoured to be in here. There's always a place in the house for you, bro. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Take it easy, Take man. Take it easy. Me. Bye. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much to my guest, Chloe Kelly. Thank you so much. Flo Lloyd Hughes, Mr... Ryan Hun, and of course, Callum Jacobs. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for listening again, guys, and I'll see you again next week when hopefully we'll be in the top four. <laughs> <laughs>